You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Hi everybody, I want to begin this week by doing a thought experiment with you. I want you to think about uh, this group of aliens who comes by our solar system every 15 years, and every 15 years they come and observe basic human behaviour for their ongoing research. And so I want you to imagine them coming 15 years ago, right? 2005, they stop by our planet and observe basic human behaviour. So here's what they would have seen with uh, walking, right? This is walking in 2005. That's walking. How about talking? This is talking in 2005. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Mm, that's interesting. Oh, it's funny you should say that. Walking, talking, waiting. This is waiting in 2005. All right, that's 2005, basic human behavior. Fast forward to the present day, 2020. You know what's coming? Here is... Walking in 2020. Talking in 2020. Ah, yeah, oh, that's fascinating. It's really interesting you should say that. Hang on just a second. Hang on. Walking, talking, waiting. Waiting in 2020. Very different set of human behaviours that would be absolutely the most obvious thing that would jump out to these aliens as they came past, right? 2005 to 2020, obvious and marked visual difference in human behavior and all of it has come about because of this thing this little device has changed dramatically along with some of the other technological innovations around it particularly around social media and the way that we interact with one another that has changed dramatically human behavior at the most basic level when i tell people uh, particularly people who are anyone who's slightly younger than me about, for example, my experience of travelling over the, overseas after I finished high school, the fact that I travelled for a year through North America and the UK um, without any phone, without any social media networks, without even... I'm pretty sure I didn't even have email. The fact that during that year, I maybe... I took, for example, I talked to my best friend at the time, Stewie, who would go on a few years later to be my best man. I spoke to him once in that year, and it cost me about 25 bucks at a payphone with a calling card, right? Just the, the incredible changes that have happened around communication, human behavior, the way that we interact with one another in the last 15 years or 20 years has been phenomenal. And, and in talking about this... Um, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to have the idea that I'm, I'm against technology, that I think that these innovations have been pure evil or anything like that. Uh, I was the first person that I knew in 2007 who had an iPhone. I was uh, – actually, no, 
Dave Schmidt was the first person I knew who had an iPhone. Schmitty was first and I was second. It was Schmitty and then it was Smithy, all right? And, and so, like, early adopter, loved that thing. Couldn't believe that I had the internet in my pocket, that I had a computer that I could access at any point. Uh, I remember my nan, who was nearly 100 years old at the time, um, just being blown away by this device and and she ended up getting an iPad when they first came out and she was blown away by just the level of information she could access on this little screen. So these things, these innovations, I remember signing up for Facebook in 2007. The, 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 the year that I got the phone was when Facebook went public and you could you could sign up if you had an email account and Twitter came soon after that. So these th- these are things that have that have been really super beneficial to us in so many ways. But when it comes to the practice we're talking about today, when it comes to the practice of silence and solitude, this, this way of communicating, this way of being really, has dramatically affected, negatively affected our capacity to live out this practice, this habit of grace called silence and solitude. And so part of the reason that I wanted to address this practice as the first of many that we're going to look at is because I think it's probably the most important practice for us to get our heads around and to start putting into practice out of all of the practices we're going to look at. And that's controversial for me to say because we're going to look at things like scripture reading and prayer and these fundamental Christian practices and, and yet I say this is the most important and I think it's because it's the one that has been most negatively affected by the way that we live today. So with that in mind, I just want us to look at uh, the practice of silence and solitude as demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Remember, this whole sermon series is called The Way of Jesus and these practices that we want to put into practice are practices that he himself um, was involved in in his time. And so I want us to look at a few passages and just note that although Jesus didn't have the obstacles of social media and phone in his pocket and um, 24-hour news and he didn't have these obstacles, it was still of utmost importance for him to engage in the practice of silence and solitude. And so let's just take a look at a few passages here from the Gospels. First of all, from Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. So you have Jesus early in the morning, withdrawing to a deserted place. Uh, other translations will have a quiet place or a lonely place. This is the, the essential idea that is that he's withdrawing from other people, from his disciples, from the crowds that had begun to follow him around. And he did it for the purpose of silence, solitude, and in this case, for the purpose of prayer. A little later on in Mark, Mark chapter 6, And verse 31 to 32, Jesus said to his disciples, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. 
for many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Can you relate to that, right? If you're a parent of little kids like I am, you can relate to that, particularly if you're a mummy of little kids uh, like my wife Renee is, didn't even have time to eat. That was the experience of Jesus and his disciples during his three-year public ministry. And his response to that is to say to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place, withdrawing for silence and solitude and refreshment. We go on in Luke's gospel, in Luke 4, Luke four one to uh, or Luke four forty two says this. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him. From leaving them. Again, this tension between Jesus' public ministry, the needs of people, the the, um, desires of them to be close to him, and his own need to be withdrawn, his own need to, to seek out silence and solitude. And again, in Luke 5 15 to 16, the news about Jesus spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. He often withdrew. This practice of silence and solitude, which continued all through his ministry. In fact, if you read Matthew's gospel, it's really bookended by this practice where in the beginning um, of his ministry, in, in Matthew 4, he withdraws to the wilderness for 40 days of fasting And then at the end of his ministry, on the very night he was betrayed, he withdraws to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples and then he further withdraws to be on his own, to pray and to really wrestle with the act of atonement that he was about to engage in. And so you have this constant rhythm in Jesus' ministry of silence and of solitude. So I just want to talk now about those two things, we know in this practice they go together, but I want to separate them out just for the purpose of examining them to talk about silence, some of the reasons we find it difficult to engage in silence, some of the benefits or the, the graces that are available to us if we do engage in this practice, and the same with solitude. And then we'll look, to, look at a few of those practices and, and how we can practically put them into place in our lives. So first of all, with silence. What what are the the what are some of the obstacles we face when we look to engage in silence? What are the, some of the reasons that it is hard for us to engage in this practice? And the first related to the the last week's message was re- is really just the fact that we've never been trained in it. Remember, we talked about the difference between trying the disciplines or the habits of grace and being trained in them, and that that difference makes all the difference. Um, For most of us, we've just never been trained in this discipline, this practice of silence. I remember as a kid growing up, uh, soon after my mum died, when I was a little kid, we would spend a few nights a week at my grandparents' house. They lived down the road from us and we would stay the night there and then they would take us to school in the morning and 
Uh, I used to sleep in the music room, which was a, a room where the piano and the organ and instruments were. And I would sleep on the floor in that room and, and that room had a direct line of sight to the kitchen and every morning that I stayed at my grandparents' house, I was woken at 5am while it was still dark, woken by the groans of my granddad as he sat at the kitchen table and just poured out his heart before God. And I just have this vivid memory of the regular practice of my grandfather sitting on his own in the silence, pouring out his heart before God. And that was simply the the fact that he was able to do that was not because he was some gigantic saint of a man, but simply that from the time he became a Christian, he was trained in this practice. The other reason I think we find it difficult to do this is because we see slow results when we start to put this into practice. I mean, the the fruit, the grace that comes out of this practice tends to slowly accumulate. And in our culture where everything is in instant gratification, that's discouraging for us. And we need to sort of come to terms with this when we look at all of these practices because like any good endeavour, the, the, the real long-term benefits are slow in coming. That's another reason we might find it difficult. The, the other reason, I think, is because when we allow ourselves to be silent, our inner world is revealed to us And most of us don't want to see that inner world. Most of us don't like what we see when we look at our inner world. Most of us want to avoid it. And so the way that we do that is by noise, is by having noise constantly distracting us and and preventing us from listening to the inner voice. So often that inner dialogue is dominated by self-doubt and by processing events and by projections and by fantasies and we just would prefer not to engage with that and so we drown it out with noise, media and social media and news and podcasts and music and distraction and that's the way that we avoid engaging with that and the idea that we might just sit and listen and engage with the inner voice is kind of scary for most of us. Another reason we avoid it. And then obviously, as we talked about from the beginning, we live in this context where we're just constantly bombarded with media. We're constantly, most of us, engaged in social media scrolling. Um, We're tuned into news that's 24-hour um, we are listening constantly. My, my, I'm just so guilty of this. My headphones are so constantly on so that I can input information, podcasts, audiobooks, these things, and they all drown out the voice that I think is revealed to us when we actually take time to engage in silence. Andrew Sullivan is a journalist and cultural commentator, and he wrote a really profound piece in the New York magazine, uh, I think it was 2016, and he wrote this piece called I Used to Be a Human Being, which is a great title, where he just discusses his full-blown addiction to media, social media, um, and the byline of the article is um, an endless bombardment of news and gossip and images has rendered us manic information addicts. 
It broke me, he says, and it might break you too. I just want to read you. It's quite a long read. I encourage you to look it up um, online and read through it. Um, But the last paragraph really struck me. And he says here, There are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shapeshift under the pressure. The threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any. That just blew me away when I read that and it just I think it rings true to our experience today that kind of bombardment that kind of dehumanizing of our very souls is something that the practice of silence can work to undo so some of the benefits then if we can actually overcome those those barriers which I believe we can with training some of the benefits, some of the graces that come with this habit of grace. First of all, the mental health benefits are undisputed. I mean, just you can look at research into this, secular research. This is not just a Christian idea, but it's something that Christians have always believed and practiced, is that mental well-being can be found in the regular practice of silence. So all of the proliferation of apps and things that you can use to train you in mindfulness is really just a secular echo of what Christians have always believed and practiced. I want to tell you about some of the benefits I've experienced in my own life. For for 12 months now, I've been doing this running experiment with myself where I have progressively disconnected from social media and from my phone in general and Um, have deliberately engaged in long periods of disconnection from all of that stuff. And some of the experiences I've had have been truly profound. I don't don't want to overblow this. This is not just a a preachy thing to do. I, I just want you to know I've had genuine experiences of transcendence as I have engaged in some of this silence and solitude. So just recently, just maybe 10 days ago or so, I was uh, out on a, on a walk along a ridge, beautiful landscape, no phone, and just sitting in the silence, looking at this beautiful landscape before me and contemplating the love of God for me. So I was in my mind visualizing God the Father looking at me with deep, unremitting love and acceptance. And I just stayed on that image for a good minute or two. And after a while, as I came to terms with that reality, unbroken by distraction or whatever, I started to experience a deep and profound joy, like the literal warming of my body and the th- the kind, a kind of thrilling of my being. And this might sound to you like some kind of airy-fairy thing. It, it wasn't. For me, it was a very grounded, very real experience of God's love, who he is and who I am in him. And all of it was accessible because 
of the engagement in silence and solitude. So there's a bit about silence and then its relationship to solitude is, is this. There's, there's an irrevocable relationship because you can't have solitude without the silence. Okay, you can be on your own, but if you're on your phone or if you're listening to someone else's voice, that's not silence and solitude. You can't have solitude without silence. So putting them together, silence and solitude together. First thing you need to know about solitude, because the idea freaks some people out. First thing you need to know is um, there is a difference between isolation and solitude. So we're very familiar with this idea at the moment, right, of isolation. Most of us are isolated in our homes. We're self-isolating because we've been overseas or we've got flu symptoms or whatever it is, and it's terrible. Like, to be isolated is a terrible thing. But that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about silence and solitude. Um, There's a very helpful book that I read during a a period a few years ago where I was experiencing deep burnout and depression and it had meant that I needed to take a month off work I was just I was toast and some of you have heard me talk about this at the time I read this helpful book by Wayne Cadero called Leading on Empty and in it he describes the difference between uh, between isolation and solitude he says there is a difference between isolation and solitude they may contain similar characteristics but in reality they are worlds apart solitude is a chosen separation for refining your soul isolation is what you crave when you neglect solitude that is a good word Isolation is what you crave when you neglect solitude. And that's what I was experiencing during that time, deep burnout and depression. I was isolating and like wanting to avoid people, contact with people, engagement with people, particularly engagement with conflict or anything that required energy. And the reason I was craving isolation was because I was neglecting solitude, which is about refining, about re-energizing. And so there's a great big difference we need to be clear about on those two things. Silence, solitude versus isolation. Now why is it hard? Why is it hard for us to engage in this this coming together of silence and solitude? First of all, it might be difficult for you just because of your personality. So you need to be clear about this. You need to know yourself well enough to know, am I the kind of person who's going to want to avoid solitude at all costs? If you're an E on the Myers-Briggs, if you're an extrovert, if you get energy by being around people, then the idea of withdrawing like Jesus did to, to silent um, places of solitude is going to freak you out. You're not going to want to do it. You're going to do it for a few minutes and then just run to a cafe so you can be around noise or put your headphones on, whatever. So you need to be aware of that. Now, this personality thing, difference between extroverts and introverts, that that doesn't determine whether we should engage in this practice. This is a practice that is going to be good for you irrespective of how extroverted or introverted you are. But it is good to understand yourself so that you can preempt some of these obstacles and maybe do what you can to get around them. 
Again, the same with with silence and probably with all of the practices we're going to look at, there is a problem with lack of training. And so again, I encourage you, just start small, start gentle, have small goals to achieve and map progress over months, not hours or days. I think another big obstacle to come to terms with and this is one that might sting us a little bit is the fact that with silence and solitude there is no audience for us to perform for there is no audience for us to receive praise from right social media age so much of what we do if we're honest is motivated by the exhilaration the dopamine hit of putting it out there posting it up and getting people liking it maybe even loving it right That is a strong motivation for so much of what we do. And in silence and solitude, there is no immediate reward from an audience. There is no having that transcendent experience and then posting about it because you've disconnected from that. That's where the beauty is. That's where the fruit and the the real goodness of the whole experience is. But it is going to be difficult for some of us who find ourselves motivated by the audience that we tend to have around us all the time. And this isn't a new, just a new, like modern social media uh, tension that we face. This is something that Jesus was so aware of. So in Matthew 6 and 5 to 6, he says, right when he's addressing people about prayer and how to pray, he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing on street corners, standing in synagogues to be seen by people. He says, truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So, There is an audience for silence and solitude, but it is an audience of one. It's a father who sees what's done in secret and rewards what's done in secret. That needs to be motivation enough for us rather than relying on the likes um, and the instant gratification of an approving audience. Now, the benefits of this practice of solitude are manifold and you can um, imagine the kind of freedom that comes over time as you train yourself in this, the kind of freedom that comes with not relying on the, the audience around me to approve me in this practice that I'm doing. There is a real freedom and liberty, which for some of us will be counterintuitive, but is, take it from me, very real and very profound. Um, This goes for all of these practices that we're going to look at. A disconnection from some of these things that provide constant distraction and noise are going to be beneficial for us. And, of course, it's true with silence and solitude. I'm running low on time, so I just want to get to some of the practices, some of the things you can put into practice from today, and I encourage you, strongly encourage you to do so. 
first of all, um, understand that there are a few different ways, a few different environments in which you can employ uh, the, the practice of silence and solitude. In his beautiful book, uh, Recapturing the Wonder, um, Mike Cosper talks about these different environments in which we can engage. Uh, he talks about having little solitudes. And this is when you are, um, all through the day, you'll have little periods of time where, that you can use either to quickly scroll through Facebook, quickly tap out a text listen to a podcast, or you can forego that short-term pleasure and engage in something more deeply profound like silence and solitude, right? Apparently, the average person picks up their phone 60, 70 plus times a day, and most of those pickups are during these times. So listen, these times will include waiting for anything, right? Waiting for the kettle to boil, waiting for the bus to come, waiting for the bus ride to finish, waiting for the script at the chemist, waiting in line at the supermarket, whatever it is. Whenever you're waiting for something, you can engage in the practice of silence and solitude, in these little solitudes. And so just during that time, rather than reaching for your phone, you can engage in breathing prayer. For some of you, this is going to seem like some kind of hippie Buddhist thing that we didn't know that Jono had become a non-Christian. But seriously, you take it from me. This is a deeply um, fruitful exercise if you would engage in it. So in the three minutes it takes for the, the kettle to boil, for the toast to toast, just breathe. Focus on your breathing. And as you breathe in and out, I've been doing this, um, this little practice of saying, in him I live and move and have my being. Right? Quote from Acts 17. In him I live and breathe and have my being. And just contemplating that truth that I live in God, that he is the one who constantly through the day enables me to live and breathe and have my being. I've also done a little, uh, I took a tip from Dallas Willard and did just a a contemplative, contemplative practice around Psalm 23. So I would just take, I I memorize Psalm 23 and then just take two lines at a time. And for the three minutes that I'm waiting for the um, kettle to boil, I'll just, Dwell on what does it mean that the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I want. I have all that I need. What does it mean that God is my provider, my protector, right? What does it mean that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What does that mean? Or... Um, the Lord's Prayer, taking a couple of lines of the Lord's Prayer at a time, like this contemplative practice of just taking time to slow down, breathe and contemplate something deep and profound about who God is and about who I am in him. That can be done in many, many, many little solitudes during the day. Then you can work towards a regular 
silence and solitude. Regular comes from the, the word where we get ruler. So there's, there's a sense in which this is ordered, this is um, scheduled, this is rhythmic, and this is something that you want to put into practice each day. And again, if you've never done this, start small. So for me, this is first thing in the morning before my kids are up, before the house is noisy. Um, while it's quiet, I get up early, go down to my den um, and, and shut the door, make sure I've got coffee, make sure I've got somewhere comfortable to sit, and then just spend an hour in prayer, contemplation, Bible reading, and just have that time regularly, day to day, for silence and solitude. If you've never done that, start with 10 minutes. Start with five minutes. Begin the day before everyone else does, even if it's five or 10 minutes. Each day when I walk down the stairs from my bedroom, I walk past where I've left my phone overnight charging and I have to, I have to resist the temptation, the strong pull to go and pick it up and to check, right, and to get the updates and to see the likes and whatever. I need to, I need to pass by that temptation and go and spend some time in silence and solitude. And so let me encourage you, do that for tomorrow morning, do it for five minutes, leave your phone and go and meet with your father. Do that regularly over time. Train yourself to, to increase from 5 to 10 to 50 to 60 to more. And you will see great fruit come about from that. Let me just share with you something that happens to me regularly during that morning time. It's good because it's morning, I'm fresh, I'm, I'm, I don't have the cares of the world descending on me at that point, um, but I do find it hard to engage, not to be distracted by thoughts, and so sometimes I just put into practice what my friend Simon calls prayers of distraction. And so I'll just sit there, be mindful of the, the moment I'm entering into in silence and solitude, and then I'll just let my mind drift and it'll drift into all the things I'm worried about, the engagements that I'm anxious about, you know, whatever. My mind will drift through those things and rather than just shoving them down like I'm prone to do or pushing them away, I just give them to the Father one at a time. This meeting that I've got today that I feel I want to avoid, this conflict I want to avoid, right, this responsibility I want to avoid or this... this um, this um, wound that is um, this emotional wound that I'm feeling today, whatever comes to mind, just to accept them as they come and hand them over to the Father for Him to take. And I visualize literally Him taking that thing in His hand to care for, to process for me, to walk with me, right? Um, so that gives you an idea about the morning thing. Um, little solitudes, regular solitudes, and then start looking into doing some extended solitudes. Something that I've said to Jimmy as part of the, a staff member at our church is that we, ex- we have an expectation of our staff to spend one whole day each month in extended silence and solitude. So to schedule into the calendar this day where I will be disconnected from all attachments, and I will pursue for that day silence and solitude. Now, I know that that is a privilege that we have because of the role that we have that you might not have. Uh, if you're busy at work, if you're a mother of three, you know, if you're you know, overwhelmed with uh, university and part-time work, whatever it is, 
Um, but just think to yourself, is there a way that you could engineer into your calendar, whether it's once a month or a couple of times a year, an extended period of silence and solitude? I would strongly recommend you to pursue that if you can. And I think probably most of us with a bit of work could make it happen. Well, I'm well over my time and um, I know we've just scratched the surface, but let me just encourage you, let this be something that you endeavour to experiment with over the coming days and weeks. Please feed back to us, jump on our Facebook group or our Facebook page and let us know how you're going with experimenting with some of these things. I'd love to hear how it's going for you in your context And just as we close, let me finish as we move on to the next part of our our family services or your household service. Let me just finish with a word of blessing for us. Friends, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.